Father, we thank you so much uh, for this time that we have together, and we thank you uh, that we could call upon you, Lord Jesus, and uh, recognize the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name, um, Lord, that nothing compares to who you are. So, Lord, I pray that as we um, have an opportunity to dive into your word today, as we continue with our service and with our series, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, and speak in a personal, powerful way to each and every one of us. So God, we love you. Bless this time we have together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you all so much for joining us and for being with us here online. Uh, if we've not met yet, my name is JP. I'm the senior pastor at Pomerado Christian Church. And uh, we just wanna thank you for being a part of our service today, whether you were invited by someone or whether this is your church home and we're just being able to worship together, to say hi to one another on the chat and just to be able to connect. And so uh, what a blessing it is. And so. Um, as you know, if you've been with us the past few weeks, uh, we've been tackling a topic that is a very difficult one, talking about, uh, based off of Pastor Miles McPherson's book, The Third Option, uh, we've been looking at what it looks like uh, to have hope for a racially divided nation. And with that in mind, choosing the third option, where the world tries to give us two options, which is us versus them. And that can go for races, it could go for economics, it could go for politics, it could go for a myriad different things. This specific book is talking about race and how it's us versus them, but God has called us to choose the third option, which is to honor that which we have in common, which is specifically the fact that we are all created in the image of God. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 as we start our sermon today. And as you turn there, um, if you're with us last week, we spent some time looking at how we need to learn our own stories and see our own stories clearly in order to honor other people. And so with that being said, um, you know, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, and this is seen clearly part 2. Last week was a story of the, the man who was blind, and Jesus spat in his eyes, and it was messy, and it was a process, but eventually he was able to see clearly. And we're going to kind of take that next step today. You know, when it comes to, I've shared with my keratoconus, I gave you guys a visual of what it looks like last week. Um, when I found out that I had keratoconus, one of the um, things that they talk about is that it keeps getting progressively worse over time. Eventually it'll start to plateau. So we're, um, it's starting to get to that point. But um, eventually what happens is just this idea that uh, in order for the lens, or excuse me, for my cornea to become shaped better. So I mentioned it's conical and instead of rounded like they should be is that you're supposed to wear these hard contact lenses. And so when I first started, I was 18 when I found out I had this, and um, it took a while for me to kind of work on trying to get used to putting in hard contact lenses. Um, I am um, what you can call an optophobe. In other words, I just hate looking at eyes or touching eyes or getting too close to eyes. It just weirds me out. Um, and so I had a really difficult time because you would put these hard contact lenses put it on and for me every time I would look around every time I would blink everything I would do I would feel these hard contacts it felt like I had these rocks in my eyes both time and I couldn't get them in other times I couldn't get them out and I remember just being so frustrated that for years I just ignored them for years I just allowed myself to not be able to see as clearly because of the discomfort of what it would take for me to see clearly and eventually I got to the point where I knew I had to do something. So I started wearing glasses and every time I go to the optometrist or ophthalmologist, it's this idea of they recommend, hey, you know, we can really help you if you wear hard lenses. And I tell them, you know, I've tried hard contact lenses. 
I've had, I've tried lenses where it's soft and then you do a harp one on top of it. Um, I've tried all these different things and they just don't work because I cannot handle how they feel like rocks in my eyes. And so they say, okay, well, glasses is the best you can do. Here's the best we can do for you. And I bring it up because it is hard. There, are, there is pain when it comes to evaluating and being able to see clearly. It's not something that's comfortable. And as much as it's hard for me to handle what feels like rocks in my eyes through hard contact lenses, some of the things we're gonna talk about today are gonna be hard for us to hear. They're gonna be difficult for us to process. It's gonna feel like we have these, uh, these rocks or these, specs, these, these planks in our vision um, and it's gonna be uncomfortable and might cause some pain. And so I ask uh, that you would bear with me, stay with me, go on this journey with me as we see what Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, specifically as part of the Sermon on the Mount. And so as we um, get ready to turn Matthew 7 verses one through five, the main point, for us today is that sometimes seeing clearly means gaining perspective. That's kind of what we talked about last week, that he was able to see for the first time after he was able to address his social narrative and see what the world really looked like. So sometimes it means gaining perspective, but other times it means losing our planks. And so as you um, turn to Matthew 7, chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. What we're going to talk about here is uh, a story that if you followed, um, if you know about Jesus, you've heard the sermon before, and we're going to hear a lot, of, a lot of strong words, and so we're going to dive into that, unpack that a little bit, um, and then we're going to address some things that might be um, planks in our own eyes, or to use Pastor Miles McPherson's verbiage, that they might be blind spots that we have. So if you remember the first week of the series, we talked about acknowledge your blind spots, but we didn't really go into giving examples of what some of those are. That's what we're gonna do today. And so again, I'm gonna take a moment to pray for us one more time because I know that this can be difficult. So uh, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would meet us where we are right now. I pray that you would work in us and through us I pray that when there are moments that we uh, find ourselves feeling uncomfortable, that we would not uh, turn off the this, this sermon or flee, but God, we would lean into you and we would ask you to search our hearts, God, and to know our anxious thoughts and to test us and to see if there's any offensive way within us and to, in so doing, lead us in the way everlasting. So God, guide this time, bless this time. We offer it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point that I want to focus on uh, today as we look through this passage is, uh, well, I'll read Matthew 7, 1 through 5, and then we'll look at some points. Matthew 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So again, this idea of seeing clearly because it's gaining perspective last week, and then losing our planks is what we're focusing on this week. So the first point that we have based on this uh, section here is just for us to challenge ourselves to look in the mirror before you point a finger. Look in the mirror and evaluate again. We talked about last week, our own social narratives, the way that we see the world, the prescription that we have through which we see everyone, how we see ourselves, how we see those around us, how we um, put people into our in-groups or our out-groups. So look in the mirror 
before you point a finger. Don't say you're the one that has a problem or you're the one that needs to be fixed or you're the one that needs to um, change your perspective. Don't, we don't do that. We don't point the finger until we've already looked in the mirror. That we ask God to show us more about um, who we are, ways that we might be hurting people. As we've talked about before, that we can still be racially insensitive without being racist. So we can make jokes that are insensitive. And we say, well, we're not racist, it's just, it's just a quote funny joke. But if that hurts someone, or even if it doesn't hurt someone in the hearing of it, but if by saying it, it causes us to um, show dishonor, or to judge or point at people, the finger at someone, then that's something that's insensitive. We need to be cautious of that. We need to be aware of that. So look in the mirror before you point a finger. We see this in Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I want you to think about the amount of judgment we would like to receive from people, right? We don't want that. That's something that is harsh. And, you know, we don't want people to judge us. And so if we were to ask someone, um, you know, how much judgment would you like to receive from other people? I want you to use, like, think about the measuring cups. Like we're talking about the measure that is used will be measured to you. You say, oh, maybe what's the smallest measuring cup that we have? For us, it's, you know, a little measuring spoon that's like a quarter of a teaspoon, right? We're like, well, I'd be okay with someone giving them a quarter of a teaspoon uh, of judgment towards me. And yet it's so natural for us to when we want to cast aspersions or judge other people, we, we don't use a quarter of a teaspoon. We want to use, we want to use, you know, a, a ton, right? We want to just put a bunch on because we don't know people. They're in our out group. We don't fully understand. And we fill in the gaps with our blind spots. We fill those in with our social narrative. And so then what that leads us to is that now we are asking other people or we want to receive just a quarter of a teaspoon of judgment, but the measure that we are giving to others is a ton. And so to use this or to connect it here, Jesus is saying, if you use a ton or that kind of measurement to judge others, that's the same degree to which you too will be judged. That's the same degree to which you will experience it. So if you only want to receive a quarter teaspoon of judgment, then we need to limit and just barely show any judgment. I mean, we shouldn't show any, but we can at least understand the, the word picture of that same measure we'd like to receive, if any, is as small as possible. So let us too, if, we're, if there's judgment in us and we know that we fall short, if any, may it be as small as possible. The next point we see is this idea that trying to help others without self-reflection can end up being unhelpful. The man in the story or the example in the story is, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the blank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, we need to recognize if we want to help people, we want, we have a good heart to help. But if we're not acknowledging the ways in which we aren't seeing clearly, if we're not acknowledging the big planks, the, the two by fours, the, the huge log that's in our eye while we're trying to see the tiniest little speck in another, then how are we really going to be helpful? We might think we are, but even in our desire to be helpful, what we do might end up being harmful. We might make stereotypes. We might say things that are insensitive. We might hurt people's feelings, even when we're trying to help them, because we're not fully evaluating the perspectives that we have, the perspectives other have, others have, excuse me, and we're not removing the plank, the log from our own eye before we try to help. So what does that mean? It means we still ought to help one another. It just means that we need to look in the mirror before we point a finger. 
and it means that we want to do self-reflection before we do it. You know, verse three gives us a, a word picture of this because again, the huge plank in an eye is like a two by four, whereas opposed to a two by four would be like a little bit of sawdust. And one of the things that this shows us is this idea that if we were to look at the sins of others or to judge other people, in reality, the things that we see in other people, they, they, they might seem small. Some of them are big, right? But it's small, but it's small in comparison to how much we know we sin ourselves. That is, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 is a section that talks about how we often excuse me, underestimate our own badness, our own sinfulness. That we, you know, if you think that, you know, you're not killing someone, but you have anger in your heart, that's still murder, Jesus talks about. If you think, oh, well, I'm not an adulterer or an adulteress, but if you think lustfully about someone in your heart, then you're still an adulterer. That we underestimate how bad we really are, how sinful we really are, and how much we truly need Jesus. And then the flip side is Matthew 6, where we overestimate our own goodness. We say, I pray this certain way. I fast all the time. I, I do these good things. I give all the time. And we think, well, that should be enough to make us good. And it's saying, well, if you pray, don't do it so everyone sees you. If you give, do it so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. That when you fast, don't make it obvious to people that you're fasting. In other words, don't overestimate how good our actions make us and don't underestimate how bad our sinful actions make us. Instead, recognizing that we are the chief of sinners, that, and Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 1, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, or as the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Whenever we fix eyes with someone and we think that they have sinfulness and we want to call it out and we want to adjust it, we need to have our own self-reflection because our sinfulness is greater and in bigger need than theirs as well. Because we know our inner thoughts, we know our temptations, we know our, our struggles, we know the wounds we have and how we live those out. So we need to make sure that we are confessing to God, that we are having self-reflection before we try to go and just, quote, fix other people. And then um, this idea in verse four, we want to help other people, but how can we do that until we remove the plank? It's the idea you've heard a thousand times, but we'll say it a thousand and one, that how we often, when you go to the airport, and if when they do the safety instructions and all those things, they talk about if you're next to someone who's unable to uh, put a mask on themselves or next to a young child, put the mask upon yourself with the oxygen mask first, then go and help the person next to you. And it seems counterintuitive because you want to help, but we cannot help others until we've been helped. We cannot help bring healing until we've been healed by Jesus. We cannot show honor until we've been able to, um, or we cannot receive honor until we've shown honor to others. In fact, Romans 2, Paul says it this way, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, you have no excuse. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge practice the very same things. The next point that we have as we look at the last verse in verse five again is that only after we lose our planks can we see clearly. This is seeing clearly part two. Only after we lose our planks can we see clearly. And one of the points that Pastor Miles makes in this section of the book talks about chapter six about blind spots in action, chapter six and seven, I believe. One of the points he says is that other people aren't merely as blind to our blind spots as we are. That's why it's a blind spot for us and maybe not for everyone. 
you know, an example of this would be when you're driving on the car or in the, in the lane, in a car, and you see someone merging and you can see from a lane over that they don't see that you're right there. And you're able to see in their blind spot because that's where you are. And just because they don't see you doesn't mean you're not present. It just means they can't see you, right? Another example is how, um, you know, there's one thing that everyone else in the world knows about you or, or receives about you that you don't fully get. You know what that is? I mean, there's a lot, but one specifically is you're the only one that hears your voice the way that you hear it. Everyone else hears it differently. Have you ever heard your own voice on a, a voicemail or a recording or anything? You say, is that really what I sound like? Um, because we are unaware of how we sound in comparison to how everybody else hears us. So that's not necessarily a blind spot, it's a deaf spot, I guess, but the idea remains that other people hear us in a way that we don't know they do. Other people see us in a way that we don't know they see us. And so, you know, as parents, as husbands and wives, as leaders, as people who are students, I mean, as all these things, there are gaps that we have in our lives that other people are aware of that we're not always aware of. And so one of the best things we can do is to ask people, hey, are there blind spots in my, the way I interact with you? That is to ask, is there a way that I'm racially insensitive by the jokes that I make or the stereotypes that I make or even the, the positive comments of saying, oh, um, you know, this person is so eloquent, implying as if people from a certain race wouldn't be eloquent. You know, just things where it sounds nice and it's encouraging, but it can come across as almost saying, well, this is a surprise. And that's not what might be intended, but it could be how it's received. Again, we don't have to be racist to still be racially insensitive. So it's only after we lose our own planks, after we remove these huge um, things that hinder our sight, the ability for us to see clearly, once we remove those planks that we're able actually to see someone else for who they are, not who we think they are, we see someone else as an individual who happens to be of a certain race, not just as part of an outgroup that is a race that we don't know very well or that we don't interact with very often, that we see people and honor the image of God in them. Because every person that you've ever met, every person that walks this earth is someone that has been created and formed by God in their mother's womb, is someone that Jesus died for on the cross to have a right relationship with, and is someone that the Holy Spirit might be calling you to reach if we are obedient to do so. So we look at this, it's only after we lose our planks that we can see clearly. Now, that's, that sounds good, but as I started with the sermon, it's this idea that's hard. It's painful for us to see some of these things. How do we get to a point to be able to remove the planks from our own eyes, our own lives, our own hearts? And what I'm going to do um, in a couple moments is I'm going to share some common blind spots that um, that. Pastor Miles specifically quotes, and so we'll, uh, I'll put them on the screen. They're also going to be on the sermon notes um, on our website. So if you're watching on the palmerado.online.church, um, there's a sermon notes bar. You can download it there. But in order for us to uh, embody the third option, Pastor Miles, um, as we have common blind spots, Pastor Miles reminds us that recognizing your blind spots, the planks in your own eyes, is a critical element of embracing the third option. We cannot show honor to other people and honor what is unique about them and what's common with us because we're made in the image of God if we're only seeing them as an outgroup, as an other, as them, and we are the us. Instead, we need to recognize that we have blind spots, so let's take a few moments. In fact, the way that 
Pastor Miles even says is that a blind spot is not, doesn't mean you don't want to see something. It means you can't see what you're missing. That blind spots aren't intentional often. It's not something that we intentionally choose not to pay attention to. It's something that we're unaware that we are missing. And so with that said, because they're unintentional and because they can still be harmful, I'm going to encourage us to look at Psalm 139, 23 and 24 and have this be our prayer for you watching right now, wherever you're watching, for you to be able to pray this prayer um, as I read it aloud and to ask God to do this work in your heart in the same way that I ask him to do it in mine and that we are able to honor one another. And it's this, search my God, or excuse me, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And this is the ESV translation because I memorized this in the, in the NIV, which is see if there's any offensive way in me. And there are times, obviously, that when we sin, when we are hateful, when we are judging, when we are insensitive, that that can offend God. Because in the same way that if I have, if my girls, uh, someone says something that's harsh or, or short with them or unkind, like I'm offended by that. I want to stand up for them, right? But I chose this one too because offensive, if we use the word that we're being offensive racially, that might imply for some of us, it might trigger for some of us that we're intentionally doing that and that's not our desire. So instead, See if there's any grievous way. God, is there any way that I interact with people that causes you, as my dad, Heavenly Father, as their Heavenly Father, is there any way that I interact with them, treat them, or dishonor them that causes you, as their dad, grief? And so here are um, a common, some common blind spots. Again, these are on the website as well, but I'll read a few of them here and we'll dive in. Um, I claim I don't have, number one, I claim I don't have a racist bone in my body, but resist letting certain people get too close to my family. Uh, the example that Pastor Miles shares in this is that he was um, uh, meeting with a, a couple who was white, wanted to take him out to dinner, invite him to dinner, and said uh, along the lines of, hey, you know, our daughter's starting to date a black man. How do you feel about that? What do, what do you say about that? And he's... He says in his words, he's like, if there was such a thing as like, a, oh my goodness, smile. Like, I can't believe you're asking me this question. He's like, if there is such a thing as that, that's what I just showed them. Because he's like, well, my first thought is, you didn't ask me how I felt about your daughter dating a white man, right? The idea is that we say, oh, we don't have a racist bone in our body. But when someone's different than us and they get close to our family, there might be a blind spot where all of a sudden we feel uncomfortable. Walls get built up and we don't like it and we don't know why. And as someone who is um, in a mixed race marriage, I'm, I'm so grateful that that's not something that um, you know, Steph's parents had or, or Steph had, but just the idea of we want our girls to marry godly men who would love God first and would love, lead, and serve them well. Regardless of their race, their relationship with God is what's most important. Two is I claim all people are equal, but in my heart, I believe that my ethnicity is superior to others. So we may not say it that way, but we think, hey, you know, deep down, we're the ones that know the right way. We're the ones that have the right process, the right culture. We're the ones that do things correctly. So we wouldn't say it overtly, but in our hearts, we might feel that way. Number three, I claim all people are equal, but the opposite. I feel and act inferior to certain people because I've internalized the views of my critics. I read a story recently um, that showed up on my um, iPhone uh, news notification about um, products in, in this case was specifically Singapore, but it happens in India as well and other countries where there are 
products, skin products that cause skin to be bleached so that they could be lighter, so that they would quote be considered more attractive in that culture. And internalizing that, where we might just say, oh no, I just want to look nice, I just want to look good, whatever. But if the idea is to, is to make sure our, our skin is bleached more in order to do that, that there are people that that is internalizing something that lighter skin equals more beautiful. And they may never overtly say it, but again, they claim that all people are equal, but they might feel less than, inferior, and so therefore they need to go to this extreme of bleaching their skin in order to look more what their idea of beauty might be. Number four, I resent being the victim of discrimination and stereotyping, but have no problem doing it to others. Uh, that's very much kind of right along the lines of do not judge, lest you will be judged, and the same measure that you judge others is the same to which you will be judged. Um, number five, I claim all people are God's children, but treat some like they belong to another family. That, you know, God, I know that God is the heavenly father of all of us, but you know, that's a different family, and this is our family, and so there's no connection we need to have. It's just, it's different. Number six, I claim to acknowledge many perspectives in life, but I'm not really willing to learn from any views that challenge mine. And this one hits close to home because um, there are things that we can learn from people in general about their experiences, about life, from people who don't know Jesus. Yes, we can learn incredible truth from people who do know Jesus. Obviously, I, I surround myself listening to that, but some leadership lessons I've learned come from people who don't have a relationship with God at all. That doesn't mean I can't learn from them. I can learn from people of different cultures. We can learn from people of different cultures, different backgrounds, different things, because the truth is, is that my faith, and, and for many of us, our faith in Jesus and who he is, is so firm that even if someone were to go and share something diametrically opposed to what we hold most dear, I could hear that and it's not gonna affect my faith. It's not gonna cause me to question it. It might cause me to be rankled and upset, absolutely, and that, there's a time in which that happens and that's natural and, and normal, in some cases, right? Um, but it's not gonna stop me from learning from them because if anything, if there's some people who are opposite of Jesus or, or don't have a relationship with them, I should say, they're gonna give me a new perspective that people who look like me, sound like me, believe like me, live like me, I mean, I'm gonna get a new perspective. I shared that I've read The Third Option and Pastor Miles McPherson, and I also read a book, so, do you wanna, so You Wanna Talk About Race by Ijeoma Aluo. And she's someone who um, is an African-American woman uh, who's a lesbian, right? So she's got a very different perspective but I can still learn things, and she's an atheist, so I can still learn things from her perspective even when there's things where I have faith and I you know, believe certain things that she doesn't believe and things like that, but I can still say, well, her, her perspective is still something I can learn so that I can reach people or share the gospel with people who um, are in different stages of life or who believe or live a certain way. So we can learn from people who are different and be willing to do that. Number seven, this one I know is a hard one, and so I'm gonna share how Pastor Miles shares it. The blind spot is I'm an unintentional participant in a bigoted system, so I'm insulated from the guilt of bigotry. And I know right away there's gonna be some, um, uh, some walls that are built up when we hear about this being a bigoted system. Um, but again, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, if you haven't listened to the Phil Vischer video, if you haven't looked into some of the, the things like redlining when it comes to real estate, when it comes to the GI Bill and how, um, African-American soldiers from World War II weren't able uh, to get housing loans as easily as white, um, white soldiers. When, when you look into some of these things, it's clear that there has been 
behind the scenes, a system in which that has helped to keep certain peoples of color down and that it's elevated people who are whiter or lighter skinned. And so the, the example though that Pastor Miles shares more goes to the way that the media can be skewed one way or the other, right? And this idea that he says, basically ask this question, whatever media outlets you watch the most or you pay attention to or you get your news from, ask the question, does this media outlet or does this way that I'm consuming information cause me to show more love and honor to people or does it cause me to be more divisive and put people in the out group? Does it create division or does it open doors for unity? So he talks about how we cannot be insulated because if we are not part of the solution, then we are byproducts are able to benefit from things that hurt others. And that's something that we can not stick to. We want to be able to help other people and come alongside them after we've removed the planks from our own eyes. Number eight, I claim that because racism doesn't impact me, it doesn't exist, or at least not to the degree that people say it does. And this is one that um, it, it can strike home as well. The idea that comes from here is we think that because we don't know about it, it doesn't happen, or it's not real, it's not as bad, it's not as extreme. But I want to give an example that might help illustrate this for us. That uh, here's a picture of a man in a Lebanese flag um, around his uh, around his shoulders, and you can see the destruction around him. Um, right now, that Lebanon is in the midst of this incredible um, economic crisis. Uh, that there have been um, it's ranked 137th out of 180 count countries, with 180 being the worst. So it's 137. It's very close to the bottom when it comes to Transparency International's Corruption Perception Index. In other words, people within the country believe that their country is corrupt, that the leaders are corrupt. And there have been economic downturns that have happened because they've made choices outside of COVID-19, before that even, that they did not want to, um, they didn't want to lose uh, in touch with the American dollar. They want to stay there. But because of some short-term changes they made, now, Lebanon is ex experiencing this incredible crisis that things are at, you know, really extreme level. In fact, as we see here, that there are protests, that these are the largest protests that have happened there, um, and largest anti-government protests the country has seen in more than a decade because that the economic downturn is causing all this strife. Now, because I don't know, because what's going on in Lebanon and the economic crisis there doesn't affect me here in Poway, California, because I don't see it or feel the impact of it, doesn't mean it's not happening. It just means that I haven't had the eyes to see it. Because people in our country, people of color specifically and African Americans specifically, have experienced racism and that we haven't seen it does not mean it's not happening just because we're aware unaware doesn't mean it's not there and so if that's a blind spot for us that's an opportunity for us to learn and to ask questions and to grow and to, to be able to ask um, people and to hear learn more about it and then the last one is i don't have any blind spots i see things just fine pastor miles the way that he responds to that is like um well Nice to meet you, Jesus. Like that's kind of his perspective is the idea that if you truly didn't have blind spots, then you are like Christ, right? But it's just this idea. If you go through this list and you think, nope, that's not me. 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 And you go through all eight and you get to the ninth and you're like, okay, I guess I'm doing pretty well. 
then that might be an opportunity for us to pray that Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 again, and ask God, no, God, search me, test me, try my thoughts, see if there's any grievous way. Is there any way I grieve you by doing this, even if I don't want to acknowledge it? Is there any way that I do anything grievous that would um, cause you harm and cause you grief and cause your children grief? But like I said, this is painful. And when I was in Haiti, I shared that several times recently, Haiti's come to mind a lot. But when I was in Haiti, there was a time when I got a piece of sand inside my eye and it was this, it felt like, again, it was just a rock. I couldn't get, uh, get out of it. And I remember I was laying on a table and my entire team thought it'd be fun to watch. And the team leader I was serving with, the other pastor I was serving with, she would grab a little uh, cup of water and like a um, like little bottle cap, right? She would just pour a little bit in and then she would try to like, I would open my eye and she'd try to just wash it out. And it was miserable and it didn't work. And like one guy was trying to be funny when I'm like, there's times to be funny, but being like I washed out of a sand in the middle of, of uh, Haiti is not the time to try to be funny. And so like I had to go away and just, I was really frustrated. But I couldn't deny that it was there. And I had to ask for that to be removed. As we close, I wanna turn to um, the beginning again of Matthew 7, 1 and 2. And what I wanna do is almost look at this, that do not judge or you too will be judged. Let's start there. That idea is almost the inverse. It's almost the opposite of the idea that we see in the golden rule, right? The idea that we wanna treat others as we wanna be treated, to love others as we wanna be loved. That judging others, and we do not wanna judge others as, um, or do not judge as, or else you will be judged. And what I wanna do is show this here because this is Matthew 7, uh, chapters one and, or Matthew 7, verse one and two, with one specific word change. And I wanna see how it impacts you when you see the inverse of Matthew 7, one and two. It says, honor and you too will be honored. For in the same way you honor others, you will be honored. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's Matthew 7, one through two, with the one keyword change of, instead of judge, showing honor to one another. And if we were to live that out, if we were to show honor to one another, and the degree to which we show honor would be the degree to which we receive honor. That's not why we do it, but it's a natural byproduct of it. So if we want to receive a ton of honor, not a quarter teaspoon of honor, then we show a ton of honor to people. We acknowledge that God has made them in his image, and though we don't understand everything about them, we want to learn more about them. And so we do that, and we show that honor to one another. Because when others wrong us, we often wanna give them the death penalty. We wanna write them off, cut them off, uh, hurt them, we wanna get back at them, we wanna have retribution. But when we hurt others, we wanna be let off the hook. That we think and we, we want to be able to receive more than what we give. In this case, it's about honor, but ultimately, thinking about the love that we're able to receive from one another and the love that we receive from God. Because as we close today, we're gonna have a time of communion in just a moment. And we think about the fact that what Jesus did, Jesus had no sin, he knew no sin, but he became the righteousness of God. And what happened was is that we have a ton of sin, 
but because that Jesus took all of God's wrath for that sin, because God turned his face away from Jesus on the cross, and because Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus, who knew unity and community with the Father like none of us have, is recognized that there was now a gap, and he'd been forsaken on the cross. And through that, all of the sin that you and I have committed, will commit, are still committing, all of that was put on Christ's shoulders, and it grieved him, and he died, so that through that death, all the wrath that was from our sin is put on him, so that all the righteousness that was Christ's could be imputed or given to us. And so we ask God to forgive us of all of our sin. We don't want just a quarter teaspoon of his love and his grace. We want a ton. So we ask now, as we enter into communion in a moment, that God would show us if there's any offensive, any grievous way within us. And yes, it goes towards racial injustice, and it goes to racial division and racial insensitivity, excuse me. But it also goes to any area in our lives in which we grieve him, we offend him, we dishonor him by grieving, offending, or dishonoring his children. Because Jesus didn't just come to die for my sins. He came for the, to die for the sins of the whole world and every single person, people group, nationality, ethnicity, language, all people that Jesus came to die for. So who am I to show them dishonor when Jesus did the honor for dying for us? Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that as you would search us, oh God, that you would know our hearts and you would test our anxious thoughts, that you would try us. You would see if there's any offensive or grievous way within us. As we hear about these blind spots and we get riled up or get frustrated, God, help us to ask the question, why is that bothering me? What have I learned? What am I doing? Why is that a sore spot? And God, may you fill in those sore spots, those difficulties with your grace and your love and with your truth so that we can embody the third option of honoring you by the way that we honor those around us, regardless of what they look like. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead us then in the way everlasting when we confess our sins to you, that you are righteous and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Jesus, thank you for your body that is represented by the bread we take. And thank you for your blood that is represented in the cup of juice that we drink. And thank you for taking upon all of the offense and all of the grief so that we can receive a ton of your love in return. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Feel free to partake in the bread and the cup as you feel led.
Thank you all so much again for joining us today. And uh, if you would like prayer, again, I'm available on the live prayer button. You can always reach out to pray at Pomerado. Or if you're online on the um, church platform, you can click prayer in the upper corner. We would love to pray for you. Um, again, I know this stuff is hard, but we're going to keep working through the hard things because anything worth anything is hard. And so may you, may I, may we enter into this week asking God to show us blind spots, to remove planks, and to gain the perspective so we can show the honor that everyone deserves by being made in the image of God, that we can show them that honor and show them that love, and in so doing, show them Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you. May he grant you his peace. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday morning.